What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today, we have a book called Druid Mysteries, Ancient Wisdom for the 21st Century by Philip Cargom. So, new moon, new book. And this book is relatively new. Probably not as new as some of the others that we've read, but I know we were talking about how new they were. So, this one is 20 years old? Yeah, it's actually, it was really funny because the acknowledgments start with the core of this book was originally published in 1991 yeah. as a separate book. And uh, 1991 is is an important year for me. So it was a very, like, coincidental moment to be like, oh, this important year for me was also when this book came out. It's like a funny little dink. For me, the problem is I can't believe 2002 is 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it really, it like deeply stresses me out the way that time works. Um, because in my mind, 10 years ago, it was the 90s. Yeah. And I know, I know this is like a running joke about millennials, but like it was the 90s 10 years ago and it'll be the 90s 10 years ago until I die. So. Yeah, it's very bizarre. That's why I said, oh, this is kind of a new book. And then I looked at the year and I'm like, it really isn't. But I guess it is. 20 years. It feels new. Yeah, it does feel new. It feels new to it's, us. Well, we just read it for the first time. So it is new to us. A little bit of story about yeah. why I got this book. So this is kind of what I do since I'm pretty much the person in charge of getting books. Like 100% uh, the person pretty in much. charge of getting books. And I'm like, okay, so we read books that I have and some books I don't have. So when I go into a store, when I talk about a store, I'm talking about a witch shop, right? Independently owned business. I will peruse their book section, but it's not that I am studying. Like, I'm not reading every spine and going, this one, that one. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I just kind of glance over, and if my eye falls on something and my reaction is, oh, that I just don't even think about it. I pick it up. We're going to read it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how Everyday Magic happened. That's how this book happened. And the reason I picked up this book versus other books is the fact that I was in, and we've actually interviewed this person, I was in Modern Druid, the store in Nyack that also has an online presence, and we interviewed Morgana. So to go into a Druid shop, and this is the book they have on Druids, I'm pretty much going to assume this is a good one. Yeah. Right? That is fair. Because if you're not a Druid, how do you choose? So that's really why when I saw this, I said, nope. This is the book. If we're going to talk about druids, I want to get it from somebody who is an authority, who knows something and would carry a book that obviously they rec- would recommend. And I think that's so funny because we just did um, the book. I think the book right before this is the Caridwin book. Yes. So we just did this book about Caridwin that was like getting in touch with um, understanding Welsh culture and that development. And I felt like this book just was a perfect transition into the sort of the wider Celtic world from that. And and in the book, even there's some references to, um, I don't know how to say any words, some things that were mentioned in the Caridwin book that I'm not certain how to pronounce. Right. So I'm not going to. Well, the inspiration and the Awen is in there. Um, Yes. Yeah. So a bunch of different bits of Caridwin mythology that's in there. So yeah, you're right. It is a really nice transition to go from one to the other. So a little bit about, he's a world-renowned chief druid of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. And he's written just, I mean, he is the guy. He's the guy who's written a bunch of books on this stuff. So I think that if we wanted to know more, 
we'd be picking up another one of his books. Yeah. I like the way he writes. Mm. That's sort of my starting point because the, the opening line for chapter one, just great. Somewhere in everyone's heart, there is a dream trying to be born. Yeah. Like, damn, bro. There is. The writing style of this book is really nice and kind of the first thing I want to jump into because there's a lot of content in this small book. Yeah. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of information. And it it can be really frustrating to read books like that, but I didn't feel frustrated at all reading this. I think the way that he describes and explains it is really accessible, really interesting, and really personal, which is is nice. There's a lot of, you know, his actual life in this book. And so I don't think, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, that was a really short introduction. Yeah, the book is his life. It tells you everything you need to know about him. Yeah, and, you know, for me, if I'm going to be reading about history, I tune out right away. The minute you give me a personal connection, which is why I prefer to read things like memoirs, right? Um, The minute you give me a personal connection, I'm hooked. You can tell me all the history you want. That being told, I'm going to say this is another book that if you want to read it and you should read it, I think that it's it's dense. Even though it's it's written in a light way, it's something you really want to take time with. Really listen to what he's saying. Absolutely. The other thing I want to mention, because I don't think I'm going to be mentioning them as we go from chapter to chapter, is that the end of every chapter is something that we love, which are exercises. But here's the thing with the exercises in this book. He starts every single one of them off with, okay, now I want you to forget everything you just read in this chapter. And the first time he did it. I hated it. No, see, the first time he did it, I thought, okay, well, because it's chapter one and he just wants us to kind of get grounded. But he kept doing it after every chapter. And I really liked that. And I'll tell you why. Please do. We can read all the books we want, and we've said this. You can read every single book on Wicca or Druidry or anything you want, but you have to put stuff into practice. And if you're trying to do this like a recipe, right, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of this chapter and a little bit of that chapter to get this, you're not really thinking about who you are as a witch, as a bruja, as a druid, as whatever. So he really tells you, okay, forget everything. Knowing that if you've really read this carefully, what's important, what's important to you about this chapter is still there. By having us kind of like not think about the last chapter, he is forcing you in a way to immerse yourself in the thing, whatever the thing is for that chapter. He is giving you a guided meditation to do the work. And of course, you're going to have some of that still in there because you just read it, but it's forcing you to take a stand with it to say, okay, who am I in relation to this material? I just read it, but now how did it affect me? Not thinking about it anymore, just thinking about who I might be in my practice because I read that, now do this exercise. And that's a very different way than, okay, based on this chapter, think about what I said in page 70. You know what I mean? It's such a very different way to do exercises. It's also trusting the reader to go deep. And maybe in a way, it's making the reader, if you've finished chapter one and you go, oops, yeah, you better be paying attention to chapter two because even though he wants you to forget it, there's some essence. You're supposed to be getting something from this. Okay, so not no, Uh not no is my response to that. My immediate reaction is I hate that. Um, I don't do sigils that way either. I think a lot of people do sigils in a way where like you create the sigil and then you're supposed to like forget about it and that allows the universe. I don't do that. Um, I hate it. (laughs) 
it's like viscerally upsetting to me that I would put all of this effort into making a sigil and then forget about it. I think listening to you say that, I hate it less. I hate the idea of like, forget everything you read less now. Because I don't ever do these exercises like as I'm reading the book. It's always a thing that I come back to. So I kind of it, I kind of am forgetting. Right. It, you, I kind of am doing the thing that you're describing, like allow it to internalize and then work with it through there. So I guess I don't hate it. I guess I don't hate it. Because, I mean, honestly, I don't think he thinks you're going to forget. You know? In fact, if I... Yeah. I mean, people can't see me, but I have I have so many toys around my desk. But, like, here's a lion. Okay, forget about the lion. You're not going to forget about the yeah. lion because I just showed yeah. you a lion. Right? So it, that little yeah. stuffed toy is going to be stuck in your brain even though I just t- don't think about it. The minute I say don't think about it, something is there. Then I'm thinking about right. it. Yeah, that's the problem is when you say to me, like, okay, forget everything. It's like, uh, how? Because he doesn't want you to think about or go back to a page. He doesn't want you to reference the chapter that way. He wants to see, okay, now whatever essence, whatever you got from that chapter, forget about everything else. Just let's go with the flow and let's follow this. And I really like that. I really do. I feel like it's the difference between you as an English teacher and me as a science teacher. Probably, yeah. Because I'm thinking about like if I give if I give like a reading to my kids, I want you to go back. You need to go back if you're going to answer questions or do right. vocabulary or anything. You need to be referencing the material because it's about memorizing facts. Right. Whereas for you, you can be like, okay, well, let's talk about the vibe because that is like an actual thing. What the theme, mood, mood, theme, tone. Are those words that make sense? Yeah, those those words all make sense. Cool. Yeah. You could be di- so it's yeah it's a our brains work differently. And isn't that interesting when we, we're looking at these books because we say it all the time. You know, you do this, I do that, but we don't really think about like maybe that's why we get different things out of it, and maybe that's why there are some sections like I said to you before we even started, which is my favorite chapter. And I think as we start talking about it, we're going to see exactly why. And I think it is the English teacher and me that just goes, I love this particular chapter. Um, I'm sure that our audience is sitting here listening to this being like, yeah, Gemini, your brains work differently. That's the whole point (laughs) of the podcast. And I'm like, wow, this is such an epiphany. Okay, so let's jump into the book. Um, Yes. One of the things that I like that he said is there's no sacred text to Druidry. Yes. There's just various approaches out there. And I think... I think it's nice because not all witches, but I think sometimes witches like to point to a particular book and say, well, this this has got to be it, right? And I think for a long time yeah. it was Gardner. So I think that it's really nice that this guy's like, okay, before you ask, like, no, there's no text. Like, even this isn't the text. He's not even claiming this is the text you need. There is no text. Yeah. Which, of course, I hate. As a person, because I like to be able to point back at things, but feels like the correct answer in any spirituality, Mm. in any religious practice. Like, yeah, not having a text feels like that makes a lot of sense. Right. So basically, the order of the bards, ovates, and druids, their aim to encourage a broader understanding of love. That I was not expecting. And then I think he lists, what, 5,000 things? No, but a bunch of things, right? He elaborates very nicely on what love means. Yeah. And it's nice because, like, when you say, oh, 
broaden our understanding of love, you immediately have your personal connotation of love. And so for him to elaborate on all of the ways that you could see love in other lights is, yeah, okay, thank you. This helps me to broaden my own horizons and to to literally broaden my understanding of love. I also think that by listing all the different types of love, I don't want to say that it's kind of like a chant, but it almost kind of gets you into that rhythmic pattern, right? Love of beauty, love of justice, love of story, love of history, love of trees. By the time you get to the next section, love of, love of, I feel like even as the reader, our concept of love starts to change. Yeah. In a good way. I wouldn't have thought of that at all. That's why I'm the word witch. That's why you're the word witch. Yeah, I'm definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. So he also mentioned something else that I think has been controversial, not with druids, but with witches in general, which is it's possible to be of any faith and be a druid. And I thought... I underlined this. Boom. Yeah, that was a big one. I also underlined the word any, any faith. Um, Because we have a hard time just saying, is witchcraft a religion? Is it, um, is it not? Is it secular? And then what does that mean? And then do I agree with that? Do you agree with this? And it just becomes this whole thing. So for him to just come out there and say, look, ah, you could be any faith and be a druid. What did that do for you? So I immediately come back to Christianity in these conversations at all times. Um, One, because I am a raised Catholic. And I think that that has a very specific... There's a lot of us in the pagan community who are like capital R, capital C, raised Catholic, and you kind of never get rid of that. But um, as a person who's like getting interested in their Irish and Celtic heritage, as someone who's looking back into folk magic, for Ireland, Wales, Scotland, the UK, for Italy, for, you know, Europe major, Christianity came in at a time that is much, much earlier than many other cultures, and so was able to be incorporated and um, to become part of the culture in a very deep way. And so, I mean, we he talks about it later in the book, which I loved, but part of getting in touch with those cultures, part of getting in touch with your Irish heritage or your Italian heritage, especially these are the two that I'm looking into, a lot of those folk practices are Christian. Yeah. And whether it's because Christians incorporated them into the religion in like 1100 or they were Christian and then the folk practitioner, whatever the combination is, you can't extract Christianity from Irish culture the way that you can in other places. And so the idea that like, yeah, you can still do that and be a Druid One, I think, opens up this realm of spirituality to people who maybe would not have thought about it before. And I think I like that. I want more of that. I want more people to be able to get in touch with their witchiness, I guess. But also, I think it almost like, it like defangs Christianity a little bit to be like, yeah, you came into these places and you took over the culture and you imposed a lot of this structure and you caused a lot of problems but the people of that area still made you work for them. Still created a way that they could be the people that they were before you. 
with you. And I, I like that. I think it's powerful. I think it shows the resilience of these communities. And I, I like I like the idea that people who are doing folk magic don't have to feel separated from the community because they still want to worship the way that they want to worship. I think it's become more and more such a touchy subject when it comes to, um, at least when it comes to my community, my yeah. culture. There's this big movement to really recognize how colonization has affected us, not just physical land and laws that were made, but also our spirituality and what was taken from us. So I have seen so many people saying that we have to absolutely just step away from Christianity because that is the colonizer's religion. And yet some people work completely together with Christianity. Yeah. So I think it's such a touchy subject because who knows who's right? You know, who knows what you should be doing? You do whatever you want. Well, and it also matters contextually, like timeline wise. Because yeah. I think that when you look at Ireland and Italy, Christianity came about in those places so early on. I mean, Italy, especially with Rome. Yeah. That they've had the time to process some of these things in a way that, especially in Latin America, the time hasn't been there. Right. Especially with the indigenous populations of, of America, they haven't been given time or space to process that. So it, I understand it from that perspective very much. Like I wouldn't, if you've been oppressed by this culture and never given the space to defang it, right. why would you want to then incorporate it like i think that makes total sense yeah so let's talk about he goes into the next chapter with the seven gifts of druidry which i loved there's seven that's a lot all the lists in this book are very long <laughs> okay so the seven gifts because i'm sure people are like listening and want to know what so i'm just gonna go real fast philosophy yes um being in touch with nature healing affirm uh, it affirms our life as a journey Opens us to other realities, so spirituality, develops our potential, and the gift of magic. Those are the seven gifts. I like them a lot because I like, first of all, starting with philosophy. We all know I love a good philosophy. Um, I like thinking about things and talking about things. <laughs> but I also like the the order of the list because mm. I think that it, I think it's something, honestly, we're seeing a lot in the pagan community that doesn't really get explained and so it was sort of funny to read it this way because a lot of times you go into your new pagan religion you go into wicca or you go into whatever and you're starting with like especially gift two and three right oh you know get back in touch with nature oh do your shadow work oh blah 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 and once you start doing those things then you become okay now i'm i'm opening up to maybe i'm gonna do like dimensional stuff or astral travel or you know, things like that. And it's not until really later in that path, later in those gifts, that you start realizing what your potential is and being able to sort of, the way we describe it on the Instagram is do mundane magic, incorporate magic into your daily life. So the order in which he gives these to us, I think is is accurate. I think it's probably like a great path to follow. And I think it's also important because whenever you think about whether it's witchcraft or being a druid or however you want to call it, pagan, I think a lot of people say magic. That's the first thing I want to do. Spell work. So the fact that it's, yeah. first of all, not a short list. It's not three items. It's seven. 
and that it's yeah. the last one, yeah, you got a lot of work to do before you even start thinking about number seven. Yeah. And I mean, beautiful to start with philosophy. How are you going to do magic if you don't have a personal understanding of what magic means? Yeah. Right? Like, we're not all going to agree, of course, but you have to know what magic means to you before you could do magic. Otherwise, what are you really doing? So I've never th- had this thought before, but you were saying that what it means to us, and I realized, because it's going to mean something different to everybody. And that's nice, but part of me thinks, screw this. I want somebody to tell me what the right way is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If there is a right way. Yes. Can someone I, just tell I understand me? completely. Like, yes. Yeah, it's really, like, it's great. And I do love to tell people, do you, like, do it. But it would be awesome if someone just said, hey, you know, hand in the back of the room. Um, I have yes. the answers. Good. Tell us, and then we never have to worry about this again. But that's steps, that's gift four, five, and six, that's true. right? Yeah. We have to accept that our life is a journey. We have to open our mind to other realities, and we have to accept our own potential. Does it suck? Yes, yeah. I love being told what to do. I was a gifted kid in high school. Just tell me what freaking, tell me how to get a hundred. I'm going to get the hundred. You're all going to be so proud of me, and we're going to move on. Yeah. That's what I want, but that's not how life works. And definitely is not how spirituality works. Yeah, it sh- that's whew, it shouldn't work that way. There shouldn't be there should be no test. Not that I wouldn't pass it, obviously. No, you definitely would. But pass there shouldn't it. be yeah. a test. <laughs> so then he goes into history, and he talks about the similarities between Native American traditions and Druids. He talks about the lost world of Atlantis, which we have to chat about. Okay, let's do it. Go. What do you want to say? So here's the here's the thing that I do think is very important because this is something that I've also seen in the community as people being like, oh, I'm Atlantean, I'm Lemurian, like I'm one of these like alien star seeds. That's what they call them, star seeds. Mm-hmm. I do strongly suggest that people look into the history of that because there are members of the community that started that that are pretty like eugenicist and Nazi adjacent. Um, so I just, you know, do the research before you start telling everybody you're like, I'm Atlantean, my spirit is Atlantean. Um, I know that Rudolf Steiner, who he mentions in the book, I don't remember this woman's name and I should have written it down, but I didn't, worked with one of the women who was like very eugenicist and used the starseed ideology to like talk about how other people were shitty and like it was, it was just, so just do a little bit more research. Um, I was really nervous when I started reading this section because I was like, no, no, please. (laughs) And then as he gets to the end, he's like, there's not, there's not really evidence. Right. For this, it's not really supported. It's a cool idea if you want to go with it, but it's it's not it's not something that we're like going with a hundred percent. Which I like. I like that. If you want to use Atlantean ideology, just make sure you know who not to use it from. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. I do. I would love at some point to do like a historical deep dive into like myths of the flood. Oh. Because I do think that's a cool, like, connecting feature between a number of world religions and spiritualities. Yes. But um, definitely would have to do also some more research into the Atlantean thing because there are some people involved who are, like, not nice. You know what I was thinking? Not to... Tell me what you were thinking. Well, you know how we've always talked about how summer reading never really works out? Like, we can't seem to put our finger on what we should do? Yeah. <laughs> that might be, I mean, water, right? Like, the whole idea of, like... Yeah. We don't have to get real 
not not serious. We have to take it seriously, but it could be a nice podcast for people to listen to if they're on the beach or, you know, caught in a rainstorm. Yeah. Some people like that. I, I like rainstorms. You really missed an opportunity to say we don't have to be that deep. Well, I mean, we don't have to be that deep. Because, you know, cause water's deep. <laughs> oh. I'm funny. Ugh, next. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> he talks about the or- origin of the Celts. And then we get to the bridge of a thousand years. Yes, we do. This was a chapter I wasn't expecting. I mean, some of it is fine, but I'll get to the part that I was just surprised about. He talks about how Druidry was influenced by many cultures like Egyptian, Greek, Roman, um, Pythagoras. Do you want to go off on Pythagoras and Druids? I love Pythagoras, (laughs) but he is also the weirdest man in the world. Um, He straight up like only ate beans for a period of time. So, like, on the one hand, anytime he says something, I'm like, yes, Pythagoras, absolutely. But also, no, Pythagoras, what? <laughs> he's great. We love him. We stand Pythagoras because he's such a weirdo. As far as eating beans all the time, I'm going to tell you something. So, if you're in the New York area, and you, I shouldn't even say this because I want to be able to go there and, like, get a reservation. But if you're in the New York City, if you're in the New York City area, you've got to check out Modern Love. I had their chickpea Parmesan hero. It's like a chickpea cutlet. Oh my God, I feel like it's changed my life. I also bought their cookbook and the chickpea cutlet thing is in there. So I love that. This is something I have to do this week because I'm I'm thinking about it a lot. It was very good. So Yeah, I need to stress. It was just beans. Like he wasn't doing anything cool with it. Oh. It was just beans. No, yeah. Wait, he wasn't. man's was weird. He wasn't cooking them in a (laughs) special way? No, he just like. Just eating beans. Just, you know, like, like generic beans. Oh, okay. Never mind. Then I was giving him more credit. Not that I think he was making chickpea cutlets, but I'm just saying, like, I, you know, maybe I thought he was making yeah, something cool. Giving him a lot of credit. No, he was weird. He was a weird dude. Um, Here's the part that surprised me. Christianity contributes to Druidry survival in four ways. I was not expecting yeah. that. I mean, and I know that we've said before, and everybody knows, Christianity took a lot from pagans. But I wasn't expecting something that says, hey, this tradition survived because Christians did four things. How they contributed, not only because of what they did, but what they contributed. Should we talk about them? We absolutely should. And especially, I think that it's important. Okay, you know what? Slight tangent. Mm -hmm. It's related, which is why it's a tangent, Mm -hmm. but slight tangent. We did the Caridon book. And the Caridon book was all about like, how to get in touch with this, you know, faith or culture or um, spirituality that maybe you're not a part of right now. And there's a great section in the end about cultural appropriation and how to appropriately come at this material. And one of the things that was in the Caridun book was about, like, learn about the history of the place where these ideas are from. And so I read that and I was like, done. I'm going to, like, listen to some lectures on Ireland so that I can get more in touch with Irish mythology and Irish um, folk culture. And Holy Christmas is that one of the most helpful and powerful things. And I just want to like take a minute and talk about it because we talk about, you know, oh, this is in the book, blah, blah, blah. But going from the Caridon book to me listening to a lecture that was called Ireland in the 1990s and then to this book really drives home how much that changes the way that you think about the actual spiritual practices that are in the text. 
So I listened to this lecture and it was all, it was mostly honestly about the troubles and about the IRA versus the Protestants and whether or not Ireland is going to be a united Ireland and all of that. And it made me realize how much of Irish history is like, not whitewashed, but like whitewashed. Like whitewashed in the literal sense of like taking a light coat of white paint and putting it over something. Um, Especially when you're raised to be like, oh, you're Irish American. It's like this beautiful pedestal that we put Ireland on and nothing has ever gone wrong in Ireland. And Ireland is the best place in the world and that's your homeland. And then you read about and you hear about what actually happened. And I mean, looking at the way that the sects of Christianity caused so much damage for real human people in a time when I was actually alive Mm. was so uh, like eye-opening to me and so interesting and changed the way that I related to getting in touch with my Irish spirituality because it made it more real. It made it more real. And so to have that background, I think, is really powerful for those of us who are getting into new paths and new spiritualities to really make sure you know the history because I knew coming into it that Ireland converted to Christianity pretty easily. Right? It was It was a pretty... Straightforward process. The UK in general wasn't too bad compared to places like the Mediterranean. But that information isn't the same as Philip Cargom telling you these are the ways specifically in which Christianity actually supported the Druids being maintained through history. These are the ways that Christianity like materially affected the area. And so, yes, is history a little bit dense? But this is a really good book for things like that. Is it, you know, it's not one of those books where you're getting, you know, here's a spell every chapter or here's like meditations for every six pages. Like this is the kind of book that really makes you consider the impact of both the history that you are consuming and the way you are consuming it. So yeah, I would like to talk about how Christianity (laughs) supported the Druids because I just think... I think it changes the way that you relate to the material. I think that what he says, and I'll talk about the four ways, they're ways that we already know. And in a way, it's the same ways that we say that any pagan tradition has survived. I don't think anyone's ever said it in that way. No, I I don't, you know, that it contributed to this pagan survival. That's not the way we've seen it or talked about it. So I like it. So number one, it continued to make use of certain old sacred sites. Yes, Right, he mentioned some. Yeah. It adopted festivals and the associated folklore of the pagan calendar. Also, yeah, we know that. Uh, recorded the tales of the bards, which encoded the oral teachings of the Druids. And that's something that maybe I didn't know or didn't think about. Yeah. And lastly, allowed some of the old gods to live in the memory of the people by co-opting them into the church as saints. And the first person that came into my mind was St. Bridget. Mm-hmm. That was the first person I thought of, which is really interesting because even pagans, even Wiccans, they'll say the goddess, but sometimes you say St. Bridget and we just know it's the mm-hmm. same thing, but we don't really think about like, thank you for making her a saint, right? Because in a way it makes a transition yeah. back. I always say that's going to be first, right? Is a pagan way. Yeah. It just helps people transition back to who they were, you know, and who these people were and what they meant. So it's an easy like gateway for us to like examine why 
I think this book does a really good job also of addressing the fact that like, yes, these things come from the past, but they also constantly move through whatever modern lens they're being interpreted in. And so the way he explains the relationship between Druidry and Christianity is less antagonistic than I think we normally read it yes. as. It's It views Christianity less maliciously. Right. And I appreciate that because in reality, like, yeah, I'm definitely not here to say Christianity didn't do a bunch of fucked up shit because <laughs> clearly it did. But you had two options when Christianity came in. They kept your culture alive by incorporating it into Christianity or they wiped it the fuck out. Right. So... I don't think it's unfair for us to be a little bit grateful. You know, obviously, fuck it, you shouldn't have wiped out our cultures in general, but thank God you left something. Right. Thank God there was something left that we could come back to because otherwise, otherwise, I mean, the opposite of this is Gardner. You have to piece things together from different cultures and different ideas to build something that reflects what you want as opposed to having and i i do think that part of this is in relation to the way christianity came through the isles versus even like scandinavia germany especially like the way that it hit europe the continent versus the islands is very different and so yeah i i'm i'm a little bit grateful thank you for making bridget a saint thank you for incorporating holidays like christmas Okay, and one of the things that he talks about, and it's something that so many people have talked about, when was Jesus born? And we can't seem to get like a straight answer, but he says, now, I don't know enough of the Bible to know where this is from, but he goes, the Bible suggests that Jesus was born in the spring or autumn when shepherds in Judea watched their flocks. And that's the thing that I don't think I ever thought about. I never thought about what was going on in the story of Jesus's birth. And again, the timeline, if we look at the wheel of the year for that part of the world, what was happening and what would have made sense? Yeah. I I just thought that was really interesting. And of course, he talks about how Christian baptism was modeled after Jewish and Druid traditions. And that a mass is also pagan. So, yeah, I think the way he wrote it was in such a way that makes you want to go back and appreciate some of the things they did. It feels like, well, this is... (laughs) This is insane. Okay, here's how my brain works. Uh, I'm mostly vegan, as I think I've mentioned at least on Instagram. And I watched some video, some movie with my husband years ago. Um, I was like, it, you know, it's a vegan movie, but it wasn't one of those weird ones where you like watch all the animals die, and it's like really sad. Mm. It wasn't one of those. It was very funny, and there was this scene with like a hypothetical future where everybody was vegan, and there's these old people in a support group who are, like, basically forgiving each other for having enjoyed cheese, right? And it's, like, it's just, I mean, it was honest, it was hilarious, but it was, like, really meaningful because they're all, like, no, yeah, cheese was delicious. Cheese from cows was so good. But also, it maybe was bad for the cows. So I think we can mourn the loss of this thing together and, like, not feel guilty for having done it, but feel proud that we've moved on. And the way that he writes about Christianity and Druidry feels like that. Feels like he's giving us permission to, like, forgive ourselves for ever participating in Christianity. For those of us that did, to be like, yeah, you know what? Is it great? No. Should you support it? Probably not. 
for a variety of reasons, but it did do some good stuff, and it's okay if you look back on that fondly. You ate the cheese. It's all right. Then I wanted to ask you about Dionysus. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So, in all honesty, I really don't think about Dionysus a lot, although I have heard him associated with Jesus, right? The idea that he was crucified, the yes. idea that he was an immaculate uh, conception, but not really. How did, I mean, I know that Zeus transformed himself into rain. He transformed himself into like all these stupid things. So if you think about it, a lot of his okay. kids were basically immaculate conceptions because he wasn't always in the form of a man. Well, it was mostly bestiality well, at that point. yeah, I wasn't going to actually go there, but yeah. I was going to go there. Well, and also, okay, mm, nope. Roll it back. Staying on task. Um, so Dionysus, there's two main ways that you can think about Dionysus. You can think about Dionysus as just your everyday god. It, it obviously all of this depends on like where you are in Greece and what particular city state and which culture blah 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 blah. There's lots of stuff that goes into it, but um, there is a tradition called the Starry Bull tradition, which is technically a mystery religion, which I technically don't know a lot about. But there is this story of Dionysus as like thrice born, so um, he is born to Persephone. Zeus impregnates Persephone, and then Zagreus is born, and then Zagreus is killed, but then Zeus gives the, the spirit of Zagreus to, I believe, Semele, S-E-M-E-L-E, and then she carries the baby, and then he is born as Dionysus, and then Di- it's, uh, you know, Dionysus is kind of supposed to be, like, the, like, the next Zeus, but he's not, it's, again, this is a mystery tradition, so, like, there's a lot of research that goes into right. it. The tr- the connection between Jesus and Dionysus is very much this idea of like being reborn, um, being the son of God who comes among among mortals, that kind of ideology. The difference being I personally don't know of a time where Dionysus has ever been said to take the sins of man. Right. In fact, pretty sure Dionysus is like very pro the sins of man. It's like kind of his whole shtick. But yeah, they do have that rebirth Lamb of God imagery between the two of them. Okay. I haven't really thought about that. So I think I'm going to talk about the highlights of these chapters because, you know, these chapters have a lot in them and we could be going on forever with these. But he talks about the three types of modern Druidry, Welsh in England and the ancient order of the Druids. What I think is interesting is I think this is the first time he starts to talk about because he talk, keeps, keeps talking about it, but the idea that the ancient order of Druids in England, which is the second type, was modeled after Freemasonry. So here we go again with this idea of like, he talks about Kabbalists, he talks about Freemasons, this idea of all these different secret fraternities, societies, however you want to call them, um, again, being part of a pagan tradition as well. Oh, I have a question, and I don't know if we're going to answer this question. Yeah. But I'm going to ask it because I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. We, I've, I said, and, and it's in the book if you read it, that Philip Cargom is very open about the fact that, like, no matter how old these religions are, they constantly go through a modern lens and get reinterpreted and, and become new things. Have we ever read, like, a a non-white person say something like that? Because I love that. 
I love it. I love the idea that we can like forgive ourselves for not practicing a perfect ancient path. But then at the same time, I, I take a step back as a white as a white woman, and I think, is this just justifying me using stolen pieces of other people's religion, <laughs> like Kabbalah, or like the Hindu practices that the Theosophical Society took and incorporated into things like the Hermetic Golden Dawn and Wicca? Like, is this how am I supposed to interpret this? That's a really good point. I'm thinking about books that I've read, and like. You know, if you're coming at it from a you're in the UK perspective, is that uh, clearly it's different than coming at it from a United States perspective. Right. So, like, I don't know. I clearly we're not going to have an answer for this, but I just figured I'd bring it up. I think it's something for us to look for as we keep reading other books from people that are not white to see if anything comes up. And if anybody out there listening to us knows of a book... Please tell us. Please tell us. Tell us. We'll we'll change something up this year and we'll read that. So let us know. Yeah, that just hit me. Because, like, I like it, but I don't want to be a dick. So, Bards, <laughs> Ovates, and Druids. Yes. So he says it's organized into three traditional grades. We've got the study of Celtic mythology, the bardic craft of poetry, and the Ogham tree understanding. And then we break it down to Bards, Ovates, and Druids, and he really goes hard in here. This is my favorite. This is, a big chapter. this is my favorite chapter because for me, when he first starts talking about how he is part of the you know tradition of bards, ovates, and druids, I mean, I know what a bard is. I am learning what a druid is. What's an ovate? Like you know what I mean? Like I kind of like wanted to know that. Yeah. And part of me wanted this chapter. I understand why we needed all this information beforehand, but I kind of wanted this sooner. Like maybe start a little bit with who what this is. So that we kind of can go on and maybe understand more. Maybe it's just perfectly placed. I don't know. For me, it was just like, oh, finally, this is the chapter I've been waiting for, kind of. You know, and it's like smack in the middle of the book. It literally is the middle of the book. It is literally the middle of the book. I liked the placement. And I like, I think, I understand why he put it here. Because I think some of this doesn't, mm, nope, I don't want to say it like that. What I was going to say is I don't think some of this makes sense without the previous content, content. Yeah. but that's not true. The chapter makes total sense without it, but if you're coming at this book wanting to be a druid, you need to read that stuff first. Um, even if you're not wanting to be a druid, I think I think it goes back to this, this weird mental journey I've been on from Caridwin that... You need to know the context before you get to know the magic, you know? Let me tell you what this chapter did for me. Made me think about a whole bunch of things. The first thing is, I wanted to be a part of them. I know. Okay? Like, I read this and, (laughs) well, first let's talk about what they were and then I'm going to tell you the other thing I thought about. So, bards. Yes. They are the keeper of traditions, of memory of the tribe custodians of the sacredness of the world so and some of their training could last up to 12 years which is a long time some of the most important things that they had to learn and it was all in stages right so they learned certain poems Mm. and certain stories they weren't allowed to learn more until they had a grasp on those then they also learned parts of ogham they learned parts of that they weren't given everything until they reached another stage so it was really it's a lot of work because it's not just learning mythology and poems but it's also keeping down what's happening what's happening with the people so you're also the historian it's 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 a really heavy job 
Not that any of these were light, yeah. but I'm just saying that was really a heavy job, you know? Another thing that he mentions here is how humanity is alienated from the natural world and our roots. And by practicing this, alienation heals. So the bards help to heal this alienation that people had. And I feel now, more than ever, we're so alienated from nature. Maybe not our roots, mm-hmm. but def- definitely from nature. And it's like, wow, like what a wonderful, what a wonderful job to have to be a bard. I have, what? I have a spicy take. Oh, go ahead. Spice me up. I think we have people filling the role of bards but the problem is instead of connecting us to nature they're connecting us deeper and deeper to technology oh because i think that i mean fuck i think that this podcast could easily be bardic right i think there are people on tiktok with huge followings who are passing on tradition and telling stories and doing all of the things that he describes bards do, but they're on the, the they're on TikTok. You have to go back to TikTok right. to get more and more and more of that. Yeah. There is no, you know, we're sitting in a garden listening to a bard play his lyre. What do they play <laughs> in Ireland? Irish harp. Um, they play his harp and, you know, tell us about how the natural world has affected us or our ancestors like all of our stories now are consumed through media yeah and it's about that media i think the difference is bards were respected and what i'm seeing because you mentioned tiktok i follow certain creators that i really appreciate the content they have and i saw one i think they're gone now the last post they They had they were Pretty much close to tears. Oh, no. People get harassed so much. Mm-hmm. Just respect what this person is trying to do. As long as they're not, like, you know, promoting hate. This person was trying to mm-hmm. talk specifically about Taino culture um, and traditions. And to try to, you know, make you laugh, make you smile, and make you, for people who are of that culture, understand. And instead, they're being attacked because they don't look. The skin is not dark enough or... You know, she's not on yeah. the island of Puerto Rico. So what does she know? So it's like they're constantly, constantly coming at her. And I think they were just, and the last thing in the comment, not the comment, but, you know, when you write on there was the word by. So I don't know if they're coming back. And that's something that I'm seeing more and more of on social media. So I think I agree with you 100%. I think we do have bars. I don't think we always respect them. Right? Well, and if we're, if we're looking at it from a societal setup, then... Society is only going to respect the bards that support that society. And so that's why you see things like, okay, Hank Green, love him. Of course, he's super famous. He, it, Hank, actually, wow, Hank Green is probably the best example of a TikTok bard. He's, he's respected from other platforms, right? Came in from YouTube and from the internet in general. Comes to TikTok, spreads information, is constantly lauded. Right. People are obsessed with him. And even though, I mean, he tries really hard to be good, sometimes is still supporting the structure of the society that wants a bard that looks and talks like him. Hmm. Yeah. I could write a thesis on this. I should get a PhD. You should. But first, now let's go on I'm to Ovates. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because they... Ovates are so cool. Yeah. They understand the mysteries of death and rebirth, transcending uh, time. 
divining the future, conversing with ancestors. And what I really like about this is when he talks about the realm of the ancestors, and he's like, this is not the realm of the dead. It's not the world of the dead, right? This is where you have, it's a repository for tribal wisdom. So the wisdom of your people yeah. is there in the realm of the ancestors. And then that's where like they're kind of hanging out before they're reincarnated. So it, it just takes on yeah. the idea of, again, life and rebirth, life and rebirth, the cycle of it. Um, because I think for so many people, when you say the idea of ancestors, you're like, oh, the dead. And he's trying to explain that. And I think that's yeah. also true in a lot of other traditions, not just with the Druids. So I like that this was their job, um, that they healed also. And he also kind of like attributes this to the beginning of psychotherapy in a way. Psyche, which your psyche, which I thought was brilliant. Very cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. I do not remember where in the book he says this, mm -hmm. but he talks about the difference between death as dead and gone. I think it was this chapter. Like a no longer existent thing. Yeah. I was looking for it, but then I stopped because I just want to talk about it instead. Okay. <laughs> and I think that that might, I think it's a modern problem because I, I am a Hellenic and when I think about the way that people in Hellenistic or pre-Hellenistic Greek, Greece, thought about their ancestors, they were dead absolutely 100%, but they weren't gone. Right. And I don't even think that this is a Christianity thing because I, I think Christianity maintains also an afterlife. It feels like this was sort of a scientific thing mm. that people have just incorporated. Like, like it's a science fact that people are just living with despite the teachings of like most of the – like all of the organized religions in the world. Because at no point as a, as a raised Catholic – did, did a priest ever tell me, like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's dead and they're never coming back and you're never going to meet them again? Like, it's a fundamental tenet of Christianity that you're going to go to heaven, probably, and see all of your loved ones and experience joy. It feels fundamentally a modern issue that we have chosen to separate ourselves from the cycle. Whether or not we believe in, like, reincarnation specifically as you know, the soul comes back in a new body. We have, like, fully separated ourselves from the cycle, and therefore, the people who are talking about there being a cycle, we kind of see as crazy. No, do you really think? You know, I think it would be funny, actually, to have a conversation maybe about, like, mediums, because I think that there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of people that, like, when you say, oh, I went to a medium, they're like, oh, <laughs> you went to a medium? Yeah. You know? All right, so we'll have to do a podcast on that then. Yeah, yeah, because I we obviously we can't do it now. No. So he talks about mantic work. He splits it up into three. Augury, making predictions based on signs and omens. Divination, using particular methods for finding hidden things and not just like, you know, about your life. It could be like finding hidden water, right? The town needs water, yeah. finding a water source. source. So he talks about that. Right? Finding a water source. Prophecy needs no outer methods, but which depends on the Ovate's ability to channel higher wisdom in relation to future events. And I think now when we think of this, I think we bundle everything into divination, but they really are three distinct things. So I appreciated that. 
After that come the Druids. Their role, act as advisors to rulers. They could be judges, they could be teachers. Um, they're authorities in matters of worship and ceremony. He also says that they are scientists, inventors, alchemists, peacemakers, philosophers. It's our inner sage. And as I was got to the Druid part, because first he's doing the bard part, and I'm going, I want to be a bard. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to Ovates, and I'm going, oh, I'd want to be that. <laughs> I want to be that. And then he gets to Druids, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm already a teacher. Ooh. There's, there was not one thing about this that I wasn't like mm-hmm. eating up, loving. And for the first time I could say, I've got a toe in understanding. Because I'm not going to say now I understand mm-hmm. everything. I don't. But I've got my toe yeah. in now. For the first time when it comes to Druidry, I got my toe in there. And I appreciated that. It's giving very um, triple goddess vibes. Mm. Um, he even mentions as he's talking about Druids, like we imagine them as old men probably because they were studying for such a long time. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of this idea that like, yeah, of course we want to be all three. We're going to be all three. You're going to hit each stage in your life at some point. And here's the other thing, the thing that I was talking, that I was said I was thinking about, that I wanted to talk about at the end of this. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about time, the time we have to do stuff. And the idea that when Kana went more, we had the whole conversation about being a baby witch and when do you get out of it. Yeah. Did I mention the whole thing? I talk about on the podcast the whole thing about how there was a study done and people who have money whose parents were willing to foot the bill. Did I mention this? Was I talking to you about it on the podcast? Because I don't know if it was like on our private life that we talked about this or on the podcast. But, you know, the idea that when people are left to choose what they want to do, if their parents are like, okay, I'm going to pay for an apartment in, you know, Williamsburg – and that's a joke for New Yorkers because that's what everybody does. They, they just, you know, they have wealthy parents. They set them up in Brooklyn somewhere. Um, what do you choose to do? The choice is usually not to go be a corporate stooge or to study to be a corporate mm-hmm. stooge. Usually people are like, awesome. I'm going to focus on my music, my art. I'm going to be a tattoo artist. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And when he talked about that, the whole idea of like, oh, you know, these guys are so old because they've been studying that's probably the problem that we have as witches today. We don't have the time. What yeah. would happen if you gave people who wanted to study witchcraft the time? And the only people who have the time are your local shop witches. These people have decided to dedicate yeah. their time. And some of them have made money. I mean, I'm not going to say they haven't. There's a good example of people, one particular person I'm thinking about in Salem who has shops in New Orleans, who has set up conferences, who's done books, you know. But for the most part, that's not really what's happening. So when people do that, I'm not going to say they're druids, but I'm saying there is a part of our society that we need to really support. Yeah. And maybe you can find the book on Amazon, but I would say first, look for it in a local shop. And again, if you have no local shops, I know we've mentioned this earlier, like in a really early podcast, let us know. We'll tell you about, you know, little shops that have an online presence, and a lot of them do now. Yeah. Shop from these people because these people have the time to really get there, just like the Druids did. They gave these people the time to study. And the only way to really be that kind of witch by the time you're a crone is to spend the time studying. And unfortunately, we, we all of us, we just don't have the time to do it the way 
the druids did it to do it the way some of these people who own shops do it because they can just focus on it and get really good we need to support them also mm-hmm. capitalism is a plague well yeah and it's important for those of us who maybe could make time if they didn't do so much for their employers who don't care about them to take a step back and recognize that sometimes your employer does not care about you and if you are off the clock at 5 p.m you should go home because it is illegal for them to try and make you do more work and not pay you for it. Just, you know, pro join join a union. It'll help. And I think that the last couple of years have taught us that we do need to take time for ourselves. We definitely need to take time out for ourselves so that we can do what really is important to us. But I think we also have to let ourselves off the hook when we don't do yes. everything because we don't have the time. Our society does not value bards and ovates and druids and anything like that society doesn't value people so you know i think sometimes we're really really i know i do it and this year i don't do new year's resolutions so i'm not going to say it's that but i definitely made i'm making a conscious effort to even when i approach my god even when i go to the altar like i'm not going to be here every day Mm -hmm. because i just am beating myself up because i don't do stuff every day and it's like you know what but I work and I get tired at the end of the day. And by the end of the week, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to beat myself up for it anymore. And I think that Absolutely. sometimes when we read this stuff in books, we think, see, I should be studying this. I should be doing that. No, no, no. You're going to do what you can do. And you're not going to beat yourself up about the stuff you can't do because you're still, you're still on the right path. You just, you're not a bard. Also... Um, you have your entire life. Yeah. You have your whole life. You're not going to, you can't become an expert immediately. Yeah. So yeah, some days you're going to come home and you're gonna be like, I can't do shit today. I'm going to get takeout. I'm going to lay in my bed. And you know what? Good. Resting is valuable. Yeah. It allows you to internalize information and grow and develop as a person. This is another conversation that we have to have. And I've definitely mentioned this on another podcast, but we have to talk about aging. Because I do think that the witch community has a problem with aging. And so it's nice to have Philip mention, you know, yeah, druids were old because they were old. (laughs) They spent their lives doing this. But, you know, and I know this is not the conversation now. I just want to throw out there that when we do have the conversation, we have to ask ourselves, do witches have a problem with aging or does society have a problem with aging and it's infiltrating the witch community because we're living in society? I would love to hear everyone's feedback on that because we will definitely be talking about this at some point during the year. So after you've heard this podcast, reach out, email us, send us a DM, like what's your opinion? Because, you know, we could definitely incorporate that as we have that sort of bigger discussion on another episode. I also would like people to, if they want to share their stories, has anybody partaken of a croning ritual? I would like to know if anybody has celebrated that. I would like to know that too. And if you're willing to talk about it, let us know. Now, before we continue to get any further off track, I would love to chat, if possible, about the the Druid Wheel of the Year. Okay. Because I feel like it was very informative about the Wheel of the Year in a way that I don't always find Wheel of the Year discussions to be informative. Okay. In what way? So, like, I loved the discussion of um, Samhain and the winter solstice and how actually Samhain might not be the first of the year. 
I mean, it really all depends on how you see it. And any, I mean, witches usually say that. You usually hear them saying, for a lot of people, for some witches, you know, it is the, um, you know, the end of one year going into the other. I think you hear that, but I don't hear that. I just see little infographics and like posts and stuff that are like, it's New Year's, happy Samhain. I think there's a lot of assumption there. So it was really cool for him to be like, oh, here's actually how this works. And also here's this minor historical fact that you might not have heard previously. Yeah. What I liked is that he has a picture of the Druid Circle of the Year. And of course, you're not going to see anything unusual in that. You know, you've got winter solstice. doesn't say Yule. Winter solstice, mm-hmm. in bulk, spring equinox, Beltane, okay, etc. What I liked about it, you know, it's got the dates on it and north, south, east, and west, and the moon. And I mean, it's all there. But the one thing that I thought was interesting, and if somebody else has seen a Wiccan circle like this, let me know. But it's, it has little things in there like winter solstice, inspiration, embog, the children, spring equinox, reception of wisdom, Beltane, the lovers, summer equinox, expression, Lunasa, the yeah. family, autumn equinox is recollection, and Samhain is the ancestors. And I think a lot of these, I was like, yeah, of course, Samhain, the ancestors, uh-huh, uh-huh, Beltane, the lovers, well... Yeah, it's all about fertility. <laughs> but I don't know, reception of wisdom. I was like, oh, like it really made you think, even as a Wiccan, I'm not even talking about as a Druid, seeing them yeah. have those words there made me sit down and go, oh, wait a minute, how do I see it? And I don't know that they're that far off from what we're doing. I just think it was an interesting way to have those little words on there, kind of like as labels, to make me really stop and go, well, why? Because some of them, like I said, were really simple, right? The lovers, of course, we all know about the maypole. We all know it's about, you know, mm-hmm. fertility of both man and earth. But in bulk of the children, that, that took me a minute, you know? So it was interesting to read what he had to say about in bulk and go in and go, okay, yeah, I got that. As you were talking about it, it made me realize that it's also very reminiscent of um, when you read like the circle, your circle chart in astrology. Because the sister signs are directly opposite each other, and the sister signs typically are in some way a reflection of the other. So Imbolc is the children, directly opposite of that is Lunasa, the family. Mm -hmm. So it sort of forces you to be cognizant of the way that the energy of the year is constantly reflecting back an earlier portion of the year. You know, everybody knows Samhain and Beltane, which actually, when we talked to Stephen from the Buckley Museum of Magic... He mentioned how Beltane really is the witchiest yes. time. And so, yeah, so they do that here as well. So I thought that was, I really like that. I thought that was really good. After that, Spirits of the Circle, then the Circles and Stones, Trackways and Stars. Chapter 10 is Druid Tree Lore. 12 is, why didn't I write down 11? What was chapter 11? Well, that's wonderful. I didn't write that down. Why didn't uh, I? The am- the Aminals. Why didn't Druid you? Animal Lore. So now I'm Because thinking- it's kind of, honestly... Druid animal lore was kind of my least favorite chapter. It's not bad. It's just like, okay, thank you for that information. You know, that could be it because usually I take notes on every single chapter and I realize I didn't take any notes, which is why it doesn't say chapter 11. So yeah, that's yeah. chapter 11. I, I think it's funny too because I'm sure like if you're really into animals, you would love this chapter. And I thought I was really into animals, but I was like, meh. Yeah. And then there is chapter 12, Druidry, Wicca, and the Craft of Magic. 
Shout out to Philip for putting a whole section on the founding mothers. Yes. Really appreciated that. Thank you, because I'm sick and tired of hearing Gardner and no one else. He does talk quite a bit about Gardner. Yeah, but he also talked about Doreen and Vera Chapman. Yes, Vera Chapman. Who were important women. And I just, you know, I like when you incorporate your important women. And if we're going to say that, we also also have to mention uh, Ross Nichols, who's the other founding father. And 13 is the heart of the mystery. I don't know, really? I, it's a really good book. I liked the chapter on Druidry and Wicca, just because, like he says, it represents the two mainstreams of indigenous earth spirituality of Western European culture. Why do I like that? Because I think we start to say things like, or not say things, we start to associate indigenous with one particular thing instead of looking at the actual definition of the word. And when we look at that, you know, I think we start seeing or we can start seeing commonalities instead of seeing how different we are. You know what I mean? Yeah, because someone is indigenous everywhere. Yeah. There's every single place on earth. Someone is indigenous to that, except Antarctica. But like Antarctica is complicated, so we don't have to go there. But yeah, I think you're right. And I think that. I think that that's a very interesting conversation to be had, and we can't have it now. We've got a lot of interesting conversations to have. Well, that tells me that these books are really good, because I think every single book yeah. we've said, oh, we have to have a conversation about this later on. It's just not enough mm-hmm. time. So final words from me. If you are interested, listen, even if you think to yourself, eh, I'm not going to be a druid do I really need to read this? Yes. I think because... <laughs> no, because I think yes. he's giving us... Forget the word druid, and let's just think of this as a pagan book. Let's think of this as a book that will also help you if you're Wiccan to understand certain things. Um, and if you're interested in more Celtic mythology, more of like how Celtic ideas, ideologies, you know, mm-hmm. where it was founded got to read something on the Druids. You don't have to be an expert. I'm not saying that I'm going to go out and read every single book. Yeah. But you should know some of this. And I kind of feel almost like shame on me for not having read something earlier. You know, as somebody who has practiced Wicca, I feel like, oh, I feel like this. I should have read this earlier in my path. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I agree. I think that regardless of it's a it's it's a short book guys it is it's a short book but it's dense like you could read this you can yeah but you could do it in a week oh yeah you can do it in a week you probably should give yourself a little bit more time you know just to go through the exercises i think the exercises are really good and the nice thing is because he wants you to forget everything i could see you can come back to them yeah because you say you always do that this is the one book where i would say yeah you know what read the book see what you can get and then just Pick time when you're going to do exercises and just do the exercises. Yeah. You don't need to do it with the with the chapters. I think that that's, yeah, that's really good. So another great book. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad we talked about it. Let us know what you <laughs> I'm think. I'm glad you picked it. <laughs> if anybody else has read it, let us know what we missed. Like what would be something that like you found really useful um, or that you hated. Maybe we didn't even, yeah. you know, realize certain things. So, you know, talk to us. Let us know. You can reach out to us via email at witchspaceco at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram in the DMs. 
if you see us at events, please talk to us. We love seeing you. And we always thank Kano and Moore, but I want to say something else about Kano and Moore. That intro and outro music is my happy place. I always loved our intro music. It's not like I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I could be at work and got to grade some papers and I'm not sad about it, but it's like, oh, it's a lot. I mean, I'm an English teacher, so it's not like I can just go through a Scantron machine. I got to read stuff. I got to make comments. Yeah. got to try to help people become better thinkers and better writers. So it's, you know, it takes some time. Sometimes if I'm feeling like, okay, I got to do this, I got to charge myself up, I go into my podcast, I find one of our episodes, I play it, and I go, I'm in a good place now. And then I start grading. So to all my students, you're welcome. They're not listening to this, but I'm just saying you're welcome. This is why good mood when I'm grading stuff, because thank you, Kano and Moore. She actually gave me something to like, because it's, it's short. So it's like, okay, I'm boosted. Let's go. It's the difference between having intro and outro music and having intro and outro music made by a witch. Yeah. That's what it is. It's just nice. It, it changes the vibe when you know that magic and intention were put into this for you. Yeah, I agree. So thank you. It's my uh, it's my own little thing. That song. I love it. Thank you so much for listening and being the most amazing audience. We love to hear from you and we love to make podcasts for you. Please reach out to us forever and always. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. <laughs>